What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Psychic Teachers. I'm your host, Samantha Fay. And I'm Deb Bowen. And today we have a really fun informative class for you all. We're going to be talking about how to read the tarot for yourself, how to read any cards, not just the tarot, to do a proper, introspective, enlightening reading just for yourself. So we get a lot of questions about this through the years, and we feel that we've answered them throughout many of our Q&A shows and on some of our older tarot shows. But we thought this week we would just kind of go through the basics, like how to choose a deck, what to do with the deck when you get it home, and how to formulate a question to do an accurate reading for yourself, and some other things we're going to talk about, such as alternate uses for the tarot deck. So first, Deb, I think we should start with how do you pick a deck? That's a great question, Samantha, because there are, and I don't think I'm exaggerating anymore when I say thousands of decks out there. I will tell you just a a real simple idea to consider. One is that True Tarot has 78 cards. And those 78 cards are divided into five subcategories. The Major Arcana and four Minor Arcana suits. And that, by definition, is part of the definition of what Tarot is. Oracle cards may not be that formatted at all. There may be 10 cards in a an oracle deck or maybe a hundred. So, so that's very different. But if you're trying to figure out what resonates for you, my suggestion to you is to actually go into a metaphysical store and browse the boxes. Most metaphysical stores that I know, I know our local store does this, has a sample box of each deck open that you can touch and you can hold and you can run through them and take a look at the artwork and take a look at the book that goes with them. And I think that's a great way to do it if you really just don't even know where to start. But if you have a particular interest in a given area of metaphysics, say, for example, if you're interested in runes, then you might choose decks that are related to Norse mythology or to runes and take a look at those. There's a tarot deck called the runic tarot. Of course there is. I mean, you know, exactly that. And that's what I mean. And the druidry and, and whatever. I really, of course, because this is what I teach and what I have found to be true for more than 30 years, is that we start with the Weight Rider Smith deck. That's the deck that I recommend for folks who are beginning because they are so rich in such symbolism. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a great deck to begin with. 
There's some people like the Marseille deck. I'm not a huge fan of that because I don't think the pictures are as intricate and filled with that history and symbolism. And then, of course, there's the what some call the original Tarot deck, the Atella deck. Really and truly what you want to do is just see what you're drawn to. And if you don't have a metaphysical store in your town or close to you, or you can always go on YouTube and type in the name of the deck you're interested in and then the words unboxing. And you'll see a quick little video of a person opening up that tarot or oracle deck and showing you what each picture looks like. And that can be another really good way to choose a deck. That's true. Many years ago, and, and I talk about this again in my class, but it used to be that you were supposed to buy your own deck. Legend was that if you meant, were meant to read tarot, the deck came to you. And I don't think in today's uh, world that's true anymore, particularly. But I do think that there comes a huge responsibility, even to yourself, because we're just talking about reading for yourself today, to find a deck that really resonates with you. So you might have to try several decks before you find one that really is the one that's right for you. Or you could be one of those people like Samantha and I are who collect decks. So when you do choose your deck and you get it home, there's a couple of things you should do. The first thing I recommend is just sitting with your deck and going through it one card at a time. This will help familiarize yourself with the deck. It will also get your energy into that deck, which is really important. You want to create a relationship with the cards right away. I also think it's a wonderful idea to sage the deck. Just light some sage. You can light other incense too, like Palo Santo or frankincense. Any cleansing herb scent is going to work. And as the smoke billows, you want to run the cards through the sage smoke so that you're clearing and cleansing the deck of any energy that's not yours. Oh, absolutely you do. It's just as if, you know, when you're buying a crystal, you want to bring that crystal home and clean it before you start to really work with it. So you certainly want to do that with these cards. And, you know, Samantha, I've said this a zillion times. We, there's something mystical and magical and beyond knowledge that happens with a tarot deck that is our relationship with that deck and the information that comes through the deck to you. And yet it's also a piece of cardboard covered in plastic and, and, you know, and it has pictures on it. And it's been handled by a lot of people before it gets to you as it got packaged and, and put on a shelf and sold and so forth. So you're right. You really do want to be sure to clear all of that other energy off and begin to, and to clean them and to begin your relationship with the cards. Once you do that, you want to then choose a special home for your cards. So this could be a box that has meaning to you. It could be a silk or velvet bag. I store mine in a bag that I made that I hand crocheted. Deb, you store yours in your mom's recipe box? I do, and they are wrapped in a handkerchief, a cotton handkerchief that belonged to my grandmother. Now, for all the other decks you and I have, I have not, you know, hand-knitted bags for every single deck I have. That would be impossible. I have them stored in shelves and baskets, but for the main decks that I tend to use on the daily, those are in special bags. Yeah, I have a couple in, that are in, in special bags. In fact, I have one deck that's in a bag that you crochet for me, so that's really special and lovely. But others are, you know, they're they're in their boxes. And in, in fact, for example, the deck that I use 
to teach from when I teach a class is in its box and the cards are in order in that box. But that's because they're a teaching tool. They're not a reading tool for me. Whatever it is that you choose to do with them, get them out of the deck you're going to be working with, get them out of the box, put them in something special, as Samantha is suggesting. And, and that too begins to help you build a relationship and an energy exchange with the cards. Yeah, and it shows respect that these aren't a playing deck of cards, that these are part of your meditation practice and that you're going to respect the cards and they're going to respect you. So I just think it's a nice thing to get in the habit of doing is creating a special home for your deck. A lot of times people talk about you have to have this crystal with your cards or that stone. I don't believe in those hard and fast rules. What I do believe is that you should keep crystals with your tarot, with your oracle deck. So whether it's in a box or a bag, I highly recommend you choose at least one crystal to keep in there. You can click on any website, open any book, and they'll tell you, you have to have these three stones in there, or you must have these 10 crystals in there, or it doesn't matter. It's what you feel is right for you. One of the stones that is repeatedly and consistently recommended for tarot is demortarite which is said to help keep a tarot reading much more clear, clean, ethical, honest, and easier for you to read. But there are a thousand other stones you can choose, like amethyst, lapis, labradorite, clear quartz, so that you keep the cards clear and energized. Carnelian, I always like to keep with my stones that are with my tarot because carnelian helps to clear the other stones around it. Azurite is a great crystal to put in with your tarot or oracle deck, as is angelite or selenite, spirit quartz. But really, Deb, don't you agree it could be any crystal that you resonate with? Here's what's in my box. Carnelian, for exactly the reason you said, because it clears other crystals, and a piece of uh, verisite. And that's what's in my box. Oh, interesting. And Why verisite? Because that's what my spirit guide told me to do. There you go. <laughs> In addition to the stones in my box, in my grandma, wrapped in my grandmother's handkerchief, there's a sprig of sage. I keep sage with my stones. Oh, I do too. That's, that's a good thing. I forgot to mention that. Just to keep them cleansed and ready to go. So next week, we're going to talk about the basics of crystals. So we won't dive too much into that right now, but just know that it's a really good idea to keep crystals with your tarot or oracle deck. Before you actually pull out the cards to do a reading, there's some other preparatory steps you should get in the habit of taking. I don't think it's a good idea to just randomly pull out the cards whenever you feel like it and just toss three cards on the table. I think you should make a ritual about it, some reverence that you bring to the energy of it, so it's a good idea to create a sacred space where you light a candle, you ground and center your energy, you light some incense, you hold your crystal, you get into that meditative space. I agree with you. Absolutely. And one other quick thing about that is when you're not working with your cards, whatever way you've stored them, put that away in some kind of sacred space. As Samantha said, we, we never, ever use the phrase, oh, I'm playing with my tarot cards. No, we work with them. And so wherever you have a place that's safe for them to be away from other hands and, and folks, that's also a good way to do it, is to store them someplace that's, that's private just for you. And so when you do pull them out and you're getting ready to work with them, 
Samantha is absolutely right. I, I light a candle. I have a particular crystal that sits on the table with me when I'm working. I usually take a bath or a shower before I start to work so that I'm clean. I've cleared my chakras. I'm sure we're going to talk some more about that. But, but I do a lot to prepare me to be open for that information that's coming through the cards to me. Yeah, that's important. You really want to focus on grounding your energy, visualizing tree roots going down, down, down from your feet and the base of your spine into the ground. You want to visualize your energy opening up, up, up. So even just imagining yourself becoming a tree where you've got the roots going down into the earth and the branches opening up to the heavens is a great visualization to try. And then as Deb said, you want to start with the root chakra and visualize each chakra up to the crown and the higher crown opening, spinning, so that you your intuition is fully awakened and ready to communicate with these sacred cards. And then you want to focus your mind. So you can journal your worries, ideas, and your questions, write it all out. This will help you to get really clear about what it is you're asking of these cards. Take some deep breaths. Visualize really connecting to your source, whether that's your God, your guides, your angels, your higher self. Visualize that connection, awakening and strengthening and linking in. You want to set an intention for the reading. So you want to say something like, it is my intention to receive clear and accurate guidance on this question I'm asking of the deck now. And you always want to say a prayer of protection. This is really important anytime you use a psychic tool, whether it's tarot, an oracle deck, a pendulum, you always want to say a prayer of protection. Now, I believe, and Deb, I believe you agree that this prayer should be of your own creation. I teach people how to do that, how to actually write that prayer and the elements of it in my class. I certainly do. I have said the same exact prayer every single time I've ever laid out the cards in all these years I've been reading them. I so believe that's so important. I do and too. Not, and not just for protection, well, I agree with you, but also for asking for, for clarity and for supporting you in your energy of interpreting what you're reading. Yes, and that the information that comes through is recognizable and easy to interpret for you. Because sometimes our guides can talk to us in symbolic language that's way over my head. So in your prayer protection, you want to be able to say all of that so that you're stating that you're grounded, you're open, but you're protected. And you're stating in that prayer your intentions to receive information from the highest sources so that you're not getting any you know, lower negative vibrations in there. You've got to set your boundaries. And then what you wanna do is focus on your question. And I think it's really important, Deb, to talk about how to ask the right questions when you're doing a reading for yourself. I don't believe in yes or no questions. How about you? Not for Tarot. Tarot's much more versatile and in-depth and multi-layered than yes or no. I think yeah. a pendulum's a good tool for yes or no questions. Tarot is much more in-depth than that. Time questions can also be tricky with Tarot. The Tarot does not tell time. It seems like it does because we talk about things happening in the past and in the future when we, when we look at a Tarot layout, but that doesn't tell us how much time, how distant the past, how distant the future. Can't really know that with Tarot. That's probably the one thing that I think Tarot 
is not as good as anything else about. It's just not. I think you should ask questions that are focused on what you need to do or what you need to know about a certain situation. So for example, what do I need to know about my career in the next six months? Or what do I need to know about my spiritual development? Or what's the energy around this relationship I'm worried about? Or what's blocking my financial abundance now? Those are great no questions, K-N-O-W questions. I also think, what can I do? Because, and, I, and I've said this, and if anybody who's ever had a reading with me has heard me say this, asking a question and not then doing something with the answer is not worth a hill of beans. I mean, you, you, what can you do? Because ultimately, while, while we're talking about oracles and information that's helpful to us, we are ultimately responsible for what we choose to do or not do with that information. And so helping us to hone down what we can do with what we're learning from an Oracle deck is really, really important. Give some examples of questions people could ask that would be more like that. So for example, what I'm thinking is if you're having a relationship issue, rather than asking, what is my girlfriend thinking about this relationship? Try something like, what can I do to create more harmony in this relationship? What can I do to facilitate better relationships with my coworkers? What can I do to change my financial situation? Those kinds of questions. And you also want to avoid asking about more than one topic or situation at a time. I find the best information when I hone in on one aspect of my life. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So for example, if you are working towards a goal of publishing a book, for example, if, you're, if your goal is to be a writer, ask Toro, what can I do to begin that process of being more consistent in my writing schedule? And don't say, for example, well, what can I do to be more consistent in my writing schedule? And how can I get people to leave me alone so I have time to write? And, and, and don't do that. Just one question. Okay, and let's use an example. Let's say, for example, you did ask that question. What can I do to facilitate a better writing career? And you just wanted to do a traditional three-card past, present, future spread. Let's say you got the tower in the past, the three of pentacles in the present, and the queen of wands in the future. Well, you might look at that and go, what does that tell me about writing? But then that's when you can look at the cards and think, okay, well, the tower is like drastic sudden change. So what changed in my past that led me to want to write this, whatever I'm writing about? The three of pentacles in the present is about networking, communication, connection, being supported. And so it could be a message about joining a writing group, getting to know other writers, getting some feedback in a writer's workshop. It could be about, you know, you actually finding an agent who can help you. And then the queen of wands in the future is about leadership. And so it could be telling you that either an older woman is going to help you in that writing path, or you need to take a leadership role in getting your work out there. But it's about the work because it's the ones. Right. Yeah. And it's telling you do the work. Exactly. So exactly. That's a, that, that question is, is a good one. And, and the cards you quote randomly picked to answer it were perfect. You know, And I think that's one of the things that comes with practice and time and working with the cards is being able to see how 
those symbols apply to your question and to your life. And the other thing I like to do is write the question down because it helps me to look at it, to clearly focus on it, and to remember exactly how I asked the question. Now, some people, you might be one of these people, Deb, are super good at this, and they will journal each and every one of their readings. I don't do that. Do you do that? I'm laughing because I, I have said a thousand times, I wish I had. All those years of doing that uh, lovely uh, Halloween festival where I literally did thousands of readings. I wish I had written all of those down. There was no way I could have probably, but, but, and there are a few that were memorable that I did, I did write down, but for myself, I do now and have for some years journaled readings I do for myself, but that that's on those I, I, and here's what I read for me. I read for myself on New Year's Eve every year, so December 31st. I read for myself on my birthday. And I read for myself in what is the pagan New Year, which is Samhain or Halloween on October 31st. And then when there are other times when I feel like I, I have questions that Tarot can help me clarify, I do read those as, read at those times as well. So I probably do, I'm guessing, maybe four or five readings a year for myself. And those all now do get journaled and have for some years. But there was a time a long time ago when I didn't. And particularly when I was first learning, as many of, of our listeners are probably in that place, where you don't trust yourself, you don't trust the tarot, you, you, the answer doesn't make any sense to you sometimes. And so you don't write those down. But I really recommend that you do because you will begin to see patterns and it will really help you to understand the depth and the breadth of the symbols on those cards. Yeah, I agree. And I wish I had a better practice of doing that. I might journal about it. Like when I get my journal out, I might say, did a Celtic cross and it revealed A, B, and C, which is making me think this, this, and that but I don't do a proper tarot journal where you write down all the cards you got, how you think you interpreted them, and then go back to that journal a couple of months later and see how accurate it, it is. I, I wish I did that. I need to start doing that. And I do do it now. And I've done it for several years now. It's a, it's a wonderful way to learn the cards. Now, there are so many ways you can learn the cards for yourselves. And we've talked about this on many, many other shows one of the best suggestions I have is to just get two of the same deck and just tape one deck into a notebook. So each card gets its own page. And on the bottom of that card, the rest of the blank page, you write down what you think the card means. And you take your time, however long it takes, could be days, weeks, months. And then when you're done with that, then you go to the book. And on the back page, you write down what the book says that card means. That's a great way. One of the things I did before you could actually buy a notebook of this, I photocopied, a, I got a black and white copy of the deck and I photocopied every single tarot card. Remember I gave you and Joel a copy too? Yep. It was very laborious. I photocopied them on cardstock. I cut them out and I put it into a deck and then I colored each card according to the Weight Rider Smith deck. 
And that was a wonderful way to learn. Now you can buy a coloring book of the Weight Rider Smith deck on online or in bookstores and just color it in. And so you can just either go through it starting with the fool, or you can just randomly open that coloring book to a page color that tarot card in and learn about that card throughout your day. Those are just some basic ways to start to learn the meanings of the cards. There are no accidents in the Weight Rider Smith deck. Everything is there for a reason, including the colors that Pixie chose to color certain things. So learning the colors is another way of helping you learn the meaning of the cards. Yeah. So if you're coloring it in and you're like, hmm, I don't really think the ground should be yellow here. I think it should be green. Don't do that. Follow what the traditional picture looks like if you're just trying to learn how to really work with this deck on an authentic level. So there's also rules about shuffling the cards. Well, not rules, but there's different techniques and strategies you can use. I don't think one way is right or the other way is wrong. You can just shuffle them like you would shuffle any deck of cards. You can do a bridge shuffle. I like to do a bridge shuffle just to kind of clear the deck of any old energy from the previous reading, and then I'll shuffle them like I would shuffle a normal deck. You can do an overhand shuffle. Wait, wait, wait. I don't know what a bridge shuffle means. Oh, a bridge shuffle is where you cut the deck in half and you hold the deck, half the deck in one hand, the other half in the other hand thumb and forefinger and you put the points of the deck together, hold them and then shuffle them together. Okay, thanks. An overhand shuffle is where you shuffle towards the front and then towards the back and you're alternating towards the front and then shuffle them towards the back. Some people will just choose to shuffle their deck by cutting them three times. I don't think that's enough. I don't either. That's just not enough. But here's what I would suggest. And I'm going to suggest this again when we talk about laying the cards out. Be consistent. Whatever you choose to do, be consistent with it. And what you will find is that the cards, it's almost as if the cards that are supposed to bubble up and be in your reading for yourself the next time you read, knew that, were ready, and there they were. So so be consistent in your practice of, of shuffling. The other thing you can do to help clear them when you're shuffling them, and I do this all the time, is I knock on them three times with my forefinger. Bing, bing, bing. And that that knocks the energy out. Now, when you're done shuffling, that's when I cut the deck. I only cut it one time. I don't cut it three times. Me too. But you'll see different people do different things. So find your way. And as Deb said, be consistent with it. So... Once you've done all this, you've grounded, you've meditated, you've focused on your question, you've written your question down, you've lit your candle, you've got your incense burning for protection, you've called on your highest guides and angels, you've shuffled the deck, you've cut the deck. When you lay out the cards, Deb, do you flip them or do you turn them, each card over? Do you know what I'm asking? Like Exactly what you're asking. Okay. That is exactly what I meant about I would be talking about that next because it so matters, your hand movement in how you lay out the cards. And, and play with this, and I, I mean this in terms of just, of just seeing what I, because it's, it's easier to do it and see it done than to talk about it, but be consistent with that. Samantha, I am a flipper. I hold, Ben, I'm right-handed, so I hold the deck in my left hand, and I, as I lay them out, I flip them away from me, actually. Uh, and that's the way I always lay them out. 
Okay, I used to do that and now I turn them. Only because I noticed when I flip them, I tend to get more reversed cards and I don't like reversed cards for the most part. And I think that matters on how you actually shuffled your deck. How so? Well, because mine mine doesn't, doesn't work that way. It works for me. I mean, I get reversed cards, certainly, but my cards are so mixed up and have been for so long. As I shuffle them, I tend to get more right side up folks than I do reversed cards. So you just have to experiment and see what works for you. So I used to flip, now I turn. I'm left-handed. I've always read that you should pull the cards with your left hand. I don't do that. I do the, I pull them with my right hand. Have you read that left hand, right hand stuff? Absolutely. And and I am a firm believer in, in left hand. If I'm reading for someone else, I do ask them to to cut the deck once and, and cut it with their left hand. And what that does for what me is- they're left-handed? I don't, I don't care. What that does for me is I can pick up some energy and, and the vibration from their hand. So you don't think it matters if they're left-handed and things are reversed for them? I don't. Okay. I don't, because think about this. No matter whether you're right-handed or left-handed, energy flows into your body from the left side, right? Correct? Right. Well, so that's, that's what's happening is I'm trying to get that energy, pick up that energy flow that's coming into them. So then wouldn't you have them cut it with their right hand so the energy would flow out to you into the cards? I've never done it that way. I understand what you're saying, and I've wondered about that. But everything I've read, if you, for example, if you read Eden Gray, she specifically says left hand. Okay. See, I don't follow a lot of those rules. Like, I let people shuffle my cards, and I know you don't do that. I let them touch them. I let them cut the deck, but I don't let them shuffle my cards. But you and I have very different viewpoints on that. We do. And I think it's good to say that you can have different viewpoints and still do accurate readings. It's just a matter of experimenting and seeing what works for you. So what layout should you choose when you're doing a reading for yourself? Again, there's no right answer to this. There's a lot of three-card spreads that I like a lot. Like we mentioned the past, present, future. But you can also do ones that are like the left card would be you, the middle card would be an obstacle for you, and the right card would be a solution for you. There's so many types of three-card spreads you can do that can be really helpful. Absolutely. One that I like to use, the image I like to use for a three-card spread, in addition to past, present, future, because that's my go-to for the most part. But I also use what I call the Mother Maiden Crone three-card spread. And what that means for me isn't necessarily in a sequential pattern of aging, but in terms of experience. So the maiden for me represents someone or me who is just learning about something just in a kind of a, an open and new phase of question. The mother is what am I doing as a mature person with this information? What do I need to do differently? And then the crone is being wise enough to know maybe where this is going, whatever the question is. Okay. Can, can you use three cards to give me an example of that? I mean, the quintessential cards for this would be, think of the high priestess, the empress, and the hermit. That's kind of the quintessential cards that represent that. But it may not be those. So it may be, for example, you may have the two of pentacles in the maiden position, the two of wands in the mother position, and let's leave the hermit in the third position, the crown position. So the two of pentacles is that 
little fellow who's, who's juggling the pentacles inside the figure eight, the sign for eternal life. Well, here's somebody who's new and young and trying to make decisions about finances and, and quote, what they want to be when they grow up. So that person is in an openness that's for me would mean, okay, this is a time where you are learning some new skills about the question you've asked. And then if we move into that lovely picture of the image of the young person holding the globe in the hand. This is somebody who's looking at lots of possibilities. This is a mother who is, and I use mother here in quotes, grateful for where they are in their lives. And at the same time, willing to be mother earth to encompass whatever they're learning in that previous card it's the maiden. Now, now what are they going to do to give that to the world, to mother? And then the crone with the hermit, that is all about wisdom. That is all about once I have mastered whatever it is I'm trying to learn in this question, then what am I going to do with it for myself so that I may one day pass it on to another generation or that I can sit with it and know that this is a life well lived. Got it. Okay. Another three card spread I like is the left card represents the problem. The middle card represents the challenges to overcoming that problem. And then the third card represents the solutions. So let's say, for example, in the past, you have the three of swords, which is the heart with the three swords piercing it. And then in the center, you have the hanged man. And then in the outcome card, you have the three of cups. The first card representing the problem would be a heartache. You're grieving something. You're grieving a loss. And the center card of the hanged man could be you're just kind of suspended right now. You're waiting. You've got to grieve this. You've got to give yourself time to process these emotions. You might have to surrender to this for wisdom and enlightenment to come. But the solution is to get out there, to reconnect with your friends. Three of Cups is that symbol of three women and they're toasting each other with those glasses. And so it's about reconnection. So there's a lot of different three card spreads you can use. Samantha, let's take a break before we move into our next phase of our topic and tell folks about what we're up to. You want to go first? Sure. So in August, starting on the 13th, three Thursdays in August, I'm teaching your Be Your Own Psychic class. And that's just a wonderful way to learn how to not only do readings for yourself, but how to do readings for other people. Each week you're partnered up with someone new from class and you get to practice in real time all the different exercises you get in the handouts each week. And don't forget those classes are taught over Zoom, so it's very interactive. You can see me, I can see you, you can talk and share, you can connect with other like-minded fellows. And each of those classes is recorded and emailed to you the next morning, so if you miss a class, it's no problem. In September, October, November, I'm teaching the mediumship advanced and beginner classes with Denise. If you're interested in those mediumship classes, please email me, samantha at samanthafay.com, and I'll send you a survey so we can be sure that you're put in the right class for you. How about you, Deb? I have coming up on August 11th, which is a Tuesday, three consecutive Tuesday nights, a course entitled Searching for Yourself with the gift of the grail. And this course invites you to look at the Holy Grail as a symbol of that journey that we make 
to find ourselves. Who are we? How do we serve the grail? And how does the grail serve us? What lessons can you learn about you from the grail along your spiritual journey? It too is taught on Zoom. I've been so excited about this whole Zoom world. In September, I have two short courses, just one evening each, uh, about altars and rituals and one about working with candles. And then in October, I will be teaching my introduction to the Tarot course entitled Unlocking the Mystery of Tarot. I'm also working on scheduling a separate section, basically, of that course that will be offered at a time that will be convenient for folks in Europe. So somebody has asked me to do that, and I'm delighted to try to to be working on that. All of this information is on my website, debbowen.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, great. So let's talk about actually reading the cards. You can choose... Like we said, from many different layouts, the three card is probably the easiest to start with. There's also the Celtic cross spread, which is way too involved to get into with our remaining time. But if you do sign up for Deb's tarot class, she goes into that in depth. You can also choose the Tree of Life spread. There's also a 12-month year spread where you choose 12 cards and each card represents a month and the year coming up. That's a great one to do on New Year's Eve. You could do a week ahead spread where you pull seven cards and each card represents the day of the week coming up. You can just do a card of the day, which is a wonderful way to invite meditation into your life and to slowly, gently, but very thoroughly learn about each card in your deck. When you go to read the cards, I recommend strongly, and I think Deb, you'll agree, do not do a tarot or oracle spread with the book in your hand, telling you what each card means. Have the book near you, especially when you're learning, but at first just lay out the cards and just pause, reflect, study, examine the cards. So first just look at the cards. What color theme do you see? Is there a suit missing? Are there more major or minor arcana cards represented? Who's on the cards? Do the people on the cards look happy or worried or hard at work? Look at the numbers on each card. What do the numbers represent? Examine the symbols before you. Try to read it as a story. This man's holding a lantern. This guy looks like he's stealing some swords, while this woman looks blissfully happy. Tune into your intuition once you've examined the cards and really focus on how does each of these cards make you feel? Does this one make you feel kind of worried or anxious? Does this one make you feel happy or relieved? Are there any insights that pop into your head? Are there any images, thoughts, or words that come to mind? Do you hear any songs playing? Really let your intuition speak to you. And then pull all of that together to tell a story with the cards. Journal it all down, and then, and only then, go to the book and see what the book tells you these cards mean. In my intro to tarot class, I have a checklist of those kinds of tasks and more that that we didn't have time today to to talk about, about what you should do before you actually begin to 
put that concept together of what the whole reading is about. What you've rattled off there, Samantha, exactly some of the things on my checklist, but there's more that is also helpful to do. And Samantha's certainly got a point in that if you really want to hone your intuition in working with the cards, that's a way to do it. Another perspective on that is to do exactly the opposite. Do the checklist, read the book first so that you are able to see the connection of patterns that appear in the cards. So for example, if you are checking out the colors and you see a lot of red in the layout that you've got in front of you, well, what does the book say about the connection among all that red in each of those cards? And then what does that mean to you? And then begin to to pull your intuition into it. I think our intuition is enhanced tremendously by our understanding of those wonderful symbols. I think the symbols can help trigger our intuition. Yeah, I do too. And there's so many symbols, you know, we don't have time to go into them all. And as I said, in Deb's course, she goes into all of those symbols, but you want to pay attention to what you see on each card. So clouds, for example, can represent air, thoughts, storms coming or leaving. Castles can represent protection, stability, rewards. Angels often are divine messages. You definitely want to pay attention to water. It symbolizes the subconscious, the flow of your life. Children are innocence. Crowns can symbolize mastery, recognition, or the material world. Uh, The infinity symbol we see on the strength card and in the card you mentioned before, Deb, that symbolizes the balance between the subconscious and and the unconscious. Keys are freedom or access to hidden knowledge or an aspect of your life that will soon you'll have access to. Lightning is flashes of insight or a sudden or hidden situation that will come to light. So there's so many different symbols in the tarot. Mountains can represent challenges or more to go on your journey. The list goes on and on and on. And don't be overwhelmed by what we're saying here. Please don't be overwhelmed because it's like eating an elephant. You do it one bite at a time. I don't mean that seriously, okay? But but really, you, you take a little piece of this at a time and, and learn it over time so that it's not overwhelming. I I often have people in my class who say, I will never learn all of this. Yes, you will. Absolutely, you will. But it will take time. I have to tell you, I've been reading Tarot for 40 years. And every time I do a layout, every time I teach a class, I learn something new every single time. For example, in the last advanced class I taught, I had a student who pointed out to me some symbols on the pillars in the Hierophant key that I had never paid attention to before, nor had I really done, nor had I seen them discussed in books, and and they were. So I'm like, wow, this is fascinating. So it's a lifelong journey to, to work with the Tarot, and it's a rewarding journey to work with Tarot. And so be kind and patient to yourself if you're deciding to just get started with this and it's fun on top of everything else. It's fun. It's an adventure. It's a new way of seeing the world around you and within yourself. I wouldn't want to study and learn something knowing there was an end in sight. 
Exactly. Where would be the fun in that? Yeah, absolutely true. There's not an end. Not with Tarot. Hasn't been for me anyway. No. No, definitely not. I think it's important to learn to read the Tarot for yourself before you start reading it for others. The exercises and the examples we're sharing with you today are meant for you to try these with yourself because the more confident you get shuffling the deck and doing the different layouts and interpreting the symbols, the court cards, the numbers, what all of those mean for you, then you're going to grow in confidence and your intuition is going to flourish and then you're ready to really try them out with other friends and family members. And it's okay in the beginning to look at the book. I'm not saying don't look at the book. I'm just saying don't lean on the book. Trust your intuition. Trust that you know what these cards are trying to tell you. Now, if you get three cards or you do the Celtic cross with 10 cards, whatever amount of cards you pull, if they're all kind of crappy and you're like, well, holy cow, what does this mean for me? It doesn't necessarily mean the rest of your life is going to suck because Tarot can't tell time. So if you get a bunch of cards and they're all negative, it could mean you're going to have a yucky day. It could mean it's going to be a tricky week. It doesn't mean, as we said before, Tarot can't tell time. And so what the Tarot can do for you, it's like taking a screenshot of the situation now as it is. So if you see a bunch of negative cards, don't get depressed or pessimistic. Just think, okay, not really happy with that. So what can I do to change that? That's what the Tarot ultimately offers us is an ability to get an inkling of ideas, emotions, people, insights that are heading our way. And then if we're excited about that, great, keep on keeping on. But if it's not so exciting, it gives you an opportunity to pause and redirect. And that to me is really the true gift of Tarot. I don't usually use the term negative. I I usually use the idea of reversed or challenges because a lot of times we will see cards in Tarot that we think of as negative or frightening, and they're really not. I mean, the death card is the quintessential uh, card about that. Death card is not about most of the time physical death, but instead about letting old attitudes or emotions or situations die away so that there's room in our lives for something new to come in. And even even if you take the three of swords, for example, which is that card with the three swords piercing the heart, yes, that is certainly a card of heartbreak, and absolutely it is. But we've learned from that. We grow from that. So there's always a way to look at a reading for ourselves in a way that gives us, as you say, Samantha, an opportunity to do or be something in a different way. And I think that too is a gift of Torah. Yes, I do too. But it can be really helpful. Like let's say you've just started dating someone and you're super excited about it and you do three cards and you get the seven of swords, the moon card, and the three of swords. Would you say that's a positive reading? I'd say it sure is a positive reading. It's a warning. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So the Torah can help us in those ways. And That's what I think is really what you're after when you're seeking the cards is not, yes, you're on the right path. Keep doing everything you're doing or no, this is drastically wrong. You have to change everything. It's much more esoteric than that. And it's more about 
where am I now? How am I thinking about this situation now? What energy am I bringing to this situation now? And then it gives you opportunities to reflect on how can I alter or change or improve this. A lot of people get confused, especially if they do a three-card spread and they get all court cards. What do you tell people about the court cards? Oh, boy. That, you know, I think they're the most difficult in the deck to explain because <laughs> excuse me, there are times that those cards can, in fact, represent other people. There are also times that those cards represent an aspect of you or an aspect of you in the situation that you've asked the cards about. And that's one of the places where intuition comes in. And it also becomes a place where your own relationship with the cards matters. So for example, for me, and this is just for me, when the King of Swords appears, I usually know that there is an adversarial relationship in some way with a father figure in the person's situation if, if I'm reading for somebody else. For me personally, that's not what that card means at all. It, it, it means an aspect of myself, usually. I need to be working on in terms of spiritual growth. What becomes your own set of symbols and relationships to the cards really matters as you begin to work with the court cards. Yeah, and they can be the trickiest aspect. In general, for me, pages represent either children, new ideas, new beginning, a new evolution for you. Knights are young people typically, but they can also be messages coming your way or new people coming into your life. Queens usually represent a mature woman, a mentor, or as Deb said, an aspect of yourself or mother energy, whereas kings typically represent a mature man, a leader, a father energy. And then like Deb was saying, you have to put that together with the suits. So cups are emotions, relationships, feelings, Swords are words, communication, thoughts. Wands are movement, passion, action, creativity, work. Pentacles are physical environment, money, health. A lot of people associate pentacles just with money. But to me, Deb, it's, that suit is often about worth. What matters to you? What, what do you feel is worthwhile in this situation? And you know, of course, and I go into this a lot more later, but each of those suits also is related to a direction, a compass direction, and to an element. And so pentacles are related, and to chakras. Pentacles are related to root chakras, to earth, to grounding, to security, to feelings of, of safety. So there's a lot more to that than, than just those simple connections. Exactly. That's the beauty. There's layers and layers and layers to the tarot. And you can study this the rest of your life and never be a true expert. And that's how I feel about crystals too. That's how I feel about a lot of the topics we discuss on this show. And I think that's why we've been able to keep going strong for 10 years, because there's always more to learn. Absolutely. You know, with Tarot, for example, we talked about doing that reading for yourself, but there's so many other ways that you can use Tarot. For example, you mentioned earlier just doing a one-card pull every day and using that card for meditation. That's a great suggestion because... This, and, and I don't believe in accidents with pulling a card for Tarot. I think there's a reason that the card that we pull, whether we think it's random or not, really isn't. That there's a message for us in that card, that there are symbols that we can work on as we work on ourselves and our journey through life. I'm a firm believer in a one-card pull every day. 
I also think it's a fun thing to try to sleep with a card under your pillow or in your pillowcase every night. Now, don't do this. I had a student one time when I gave that suggestion of sleeping with a card in their pillow, and they came back to class the next session, and she said she had the craziest dreams, and and it was really a bizarre experience, and she didn't recommend anybody do it. I said, well, which card did you have under your pillow? And she said, oh, I put them all under my pillow. Oh, no wonder you had some weird dreams. So (laughs) one card, just one card under your your pillow. Another thing you can do with to really get to to know the cards and to, to work with them in another way is to use them as writing prompts. If you're somebody who likes to journal or write poetry or short stories, pick a card and just write what comes up for you in relationship to the images on that card or what you've learned about it or what you know about it. You can also trace the legend of the Holy Grail through Tarot, and I talk about that, I think, in my advanced class. But if you're interested in looking at that legend in depth, you can see the journey of the Grail, whether you envision the Grail as a cup or Mary Magdalene, or whatever symbol the grail may be for you, you can trace it through the major arcana in Tarot. The same is true in the hero's journey. Basically, the journey through the major arcana is the hero's journey. And you can read about that from Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung's looking at his work with the collective unconscious. He did a tremendous amount of work with Tarot. In fact, at the end of his life, He actually built a tower where he worked on learning alchemy. And the tower was very similar in his concept to the one that's in Tarot, the picture of that one. So so there are many, many other ways that you can work with that amazing deck other than doing readings. And and I love that. I do too. I think that's, again, another example of how multi-layered this topic is. So once again, in an hour, we've only touched upon the very, very, very surface of the tarot. If you want more, I highly recommend you take Deb's class on the tarot because she's an excellent teacher and her handouts and her teaching will walk you through the intricacies, the layers, the history, the tradition, and the true knowledge of working with this sacred deck. Oh, thank you, Samantha. Well, we hope this has been helpful for you guys. Have a great week. As always, be the light for yourself and others. Take care, everyone. You are listening to Psychic Teachers, a podcast for seekers, light workers, mystics, and magical thinkers. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. You can also find us on iHeart, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Google Podcast, Podbean, and more. Thanks for listening.